You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Without further delay, I want to bring your attention in the book of Second uh, Peter, chapter one. Hallelujah. Second Peter, chapter one, verse uh, one to ten, actually. Second Peter, chapter one, verse one to ten. Uh, the Bible says, "Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us." Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord, Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him that had called us to glory and virtue. Amen. Whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, but that by this ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Now listen to this. For if this be things, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. We want to be fruitful as we serve the Lord, right? Amen. We want to be fruitful. Amen. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Last verse, wherefore, the, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Tonight, I want to talk to you about growing in faith. Growing in faith. Shall we pray tonight? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so grateful for your word tonight. We believe it. It's inspired. It's anointed. And I pray, help, oh God, your messenger to, uh, to teach, Lord, oh God, to deliver, Lord, the message that you want to speak to us tonight. Pray for your anointing, Lord, and anoint our ears as well. Hallelujah. As we hear your words, oh God, let us, oh God, uh, respond to your word, challenge us, convict us. Hallelujah, and let us grow, Lord, in faith. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Growing in faith, you may be seated tonight. Growing in faith. Before I proceed, I want to make also an announcement. Uh, on October 1st, Saturday, 9 in the morning, so this is for all men. We're going to have our men's breakfast and devotion, so... If you wanted to join for our men's breakfast and devotion, October 1st, that's Saturday, 9 in the morning. You can sign up 
in the bulletin board, we have a sign-up sheet there so you can write your name. Amen. So that's just a quick announcement right there. There you go. Don't burn the hash brown. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Growing in faith. Now, let me just start by just saying this. The entire purpose of being a Christian is not just so we can make it to heaven. Amen? We're not serving here and just be here just because we wanted to be, you, we wanted to make to heaven. That's not our purpose. Heaven is our destination. It's not, it's never our goal. It's never our purpose. Just want to say that so it's, everything's clear for us. That we're not serving God because we just want to make it, make it to heaven. But, you know, heaven is a destination. The goal is to become like Christ. To become like Christ and reflect Him in our lives in a daily basis. That is the goal, amen, why we serve the Lord, why we are here. Because we want to uh, imitate Him. We want to let His nature manifest in our lives. So Peter wrote here in, in, in his letter that, you know, to the believers that we are partakers of His divi divine nature. Because this divine nature will allow us to escape the world's corruption through lust. That's what he said in, uh, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1. So when he said that to escape the world's corruption, it means to not get involved or get entangled with world's corruption. Then in verse 5, Peter said like this, and beside this, giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. When he said diligence, it means to put earnest care. So it's like, we, uh, you know, so you, you take care of it. And then he goes, add to your faith. The word add in Greek means to minister nourishment. So when we take care of our faith, we add the things that we have read, it means we are ministering to our faith. We need to nourish our faith in a daily basis, church. Because our faith is like a plant that we need to cultivate. Amen? We need to cultivate it and nourish it to grow. So, it means when Peter said that you add, you know, virtue, add temperance, add knowledge, these things does not happen accidentally when he said these things it won't happen automatically but we have to do it actively there's an effort to be on our end we're not preaching here a lazy gospel that yes we are saved not by our works but at the same time there's a responsibility as well that is placed in us that we need to take care of our faith and Peter is not suggesting to add these things. And he's not given an option. It is a must for us as a believer, as a, you know, as a child of God. We need to do this for our, to our faith. And if there's one thing we need to cultivate, it should be you know, the faith that we have. Not doubt, not fear, not unbelief, but faith. Amen. Because sometimes people would rather cultivate their doubt and fear and unbelief rather than faith. That's why we come here in the church. We don't, we don't entertain, we don't entertain or we don't accept stuff 
or spirits or whatever discussions or ideas that would cause us to lose our faith to God. We have to dismiss those thoughts, those ideas, those conversations. We have to protect ourselves if it means that it would endanger our faith. So we have to cultivate it. Now, I know that, as I've said, I know that we are not saved by works. Because I'm talking about effort. But faith will always lead us to obeying His word. Amen? It's not about, you know, it's not only when you say faith, that's it. But it's like a two-side of a coin. When you say you have faith, you have belief, it always leads us to obey His word. So Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much, now much more in my absence. Now this is what he said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We have to work out our salvation. Doesn't mean that, we, that salvation depends on our effort. But we have to do something. We have to work that out to strengthen that faith, that salvation that we have. But that just, just because Paul said that you have to work out your salvation, doesn't mean that it, everything is uh, depending on our effort. Verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure we work out our own salvation but peter did uh, paul didn't end it in that scripture he then said that it is god who worketh in us both the will and to do for in order for us to be able to work out our own salvation we have to depend in the spirit of god the power that work in us that will enable for us to work that salvation that we received i'm trying to lay down a foundation trying to correct you know, that, that we have to understand that we need an effort, but at the same time, we also have to depend on the Spirit of God to be led by the Spirit. Amen. So, that's why Peter said prior that we are given promises that enables us to become partakers of that divine nature. Now, I believe that one of the, 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 the promises that Peter was uh, saying in that scripture, I believe that that's the one of the many promises he meant was the Holy Ghost. Because there's no other way for us to have, to, be part, to, to partake that divine nature aside from the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus, you know, uh, that, that's why God has given us the Holy Ghost so that, you know, He can reside in our lives and manifest that divine nature, not this flesh this fleshly nature that we have to manifest these things so we are able to add on to our faith. It is His Spirit that allows us, as I have said, to partake His divine nature in us. And if there's also one thing, I want you to uh, take note of this, if there's also one thing, church, that the enemy wants to kill in us, it is also our faith. The enemy is also after our faith. We know that in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Jesus said, right? And the, thing, the one thing that he wants to destroy in us, to kill in us, and to steal in our lives is our faith. Notice in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. 
and a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But look at Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. That thy faith fail not. The word fail means Jesus use is to cease or to die. It means that Jesus prayed for Peter's faith so his faith will not die. It will not be killed. That's why it's also important that we anoint our faith. We pray for our faith. That's also possible if you, you know, we have to pray for our faith that our faith be increased. The apostles asked the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. That's where that's their prayer was. So in order for our faith to grow and not die, we need to take time to cultivate our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this as well. I know the scripture said that the mustard seed size faith can move mountain. We all know that, that, you know, you just need a mustard seed size faith and it could move mountain. But that does not suggest that we will just stay there and just let our faith just like a mustard seed size. Amen? We're not going to just limit ourselves to have that sized faith. Now, let me say this as well. Just because a mustard seed size faith that's great for us doesn't mean God deserves our bare minimum. Just because that's the only thing that God needs for Him to move doesn't mean that that's the only thing that He deserves as well from us. God deserves our great faith at the same time, church, because we are serving a great God. I don't know about you, but I, I wanted to give everything that I've got. And I wanted to cultivate my faith and become a great faith, just like the centurion in the Bible. What Jesus said, what a great faith he have. I want to have that kind of faith at the same time. Amen. Now, our text that we read tonight was the Apostle Paul our Apostle Peter writing for the believers, giving warning against the influences and the teachings in the world that would corrupt what is within us. So the focus of First Peter was all about giving warning to the church outside, you know, the things that would attack, yeah, like a persecution and everything that is an outside thing. That's like the focus on First Peter. But when you go to Second Peter, you know, the, the, the lesson or the message he's trying to do now, he's trying to give a warning from the inside, the things that would endanger from the inside, starting from the false teachings and doctrines and ideas that would corrupt our faith. So that's why he suggests that he, we need to uh, add things to our faith so that it'll grow. Now, first thing that he said, add virtue. Add virtue. So, from your faith that we all have, we need to have an, we need to put an effort and put virtue. So, virtue by definition means moral excellence or goodness. Virtue means it is an ability to choose right over wrong. All throughout the scripture, all throughout the Bible, way back in the Old Testament until the New Testament, it was always the moral corruption of humanity that brought wrath and judgment of God to mankind. 
You can find it in the time of Noah where the Bible said the minds of the people will just fill with evil stuff. And that's why that flood came. Not to, not, you know, it's not, it, it is a, uh, a judgment of God to what had happened in that time. The moral corruption. It's always the issue of humanity. The, the, the moral corruption. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. I'm reading in NLT version. He is at the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We all used to have the sinful nature. That's why we need to partake the divine nature. Now the Bible said that the very nature we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and He loves us. Aren't you thankful, church, that we were once lost, but now we are saved because He is so merciful and He loves us. I thank God, hallelujah, of this verse. But God, despite of all our weaknesses and shortcomings, but God is rich in mercy. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful to that church. That even though the Bible's in verse 5, even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. So that's who we were before. Before we met Christ. We have this sinful nature. So that's why there is a need for us to have this moral excellence or what we call virtue. When we start to serve God and just, you know, give our life to God. You know, we have now faith. And now we have to work at that virtue in our lives to Pursue moral excellence in this corrupt world. Does it mean we are already perfect? Does it mean that we cannot commit sin anymore? Are we already perfect? The answer is no. That's why it's something that we need to work out in our lives in a daily basis. It's where conviction comes. It's where God gives us the gift of repentance to align our lives again to the will of God. Amen. So that's where the virtue comes in into our faith. We need to add on that every day. Put that virtue every day. Add that. We need to add that church. We need to pursue that moral excellence, that goodness. Amen. The next, Peter said, after you add virtue to your faith, the next is add Knowledge. Now, we're talking about moral excellence. We're talking about choosing what is right and we're choosing what is, you know, what is right or wrong. So this is where the knowledge plays an important role. As we pursue goodness, as we pursue moral excellence, as we pursue virtue, knowledge helps us make correct decisions. In everyday life, we always make decisions Every day, right? We, went, we wake up in the morning, we choose what, what clothes we're going to wear, what breakfast you're going to eat, what shoes you're going to wear. What, you know, every day you're always 
making decisions. What, who you are and what you are is the result of your the past decisions. You are the result of your past decisions. If you are here right now, it's because you decide to be here. If where you are right now, when you decided to serve the Lord and that your life changes, the course of your life changed because of that one decision. And you're able to make a correct decision because of knowledge. The Bible said in Hosea 4 and 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's always like that because the enemy will try to take an advantage if we lack knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge. Now this is a different story at the same time. God has given us knowledge. But the problem is some people would reject knowledge. That's what Hosea was saying. It's important that we load our minds with knowledge. Knowledge, so we start by studying. And as we study, we understand. And as we understand, we experience the power of God. We experience the power of God. Knowledge enables us to stand firm on what we believe. And on who you are in Christ. Now this is where the problem sometimes in the church, sometimes a child of God could have a blurry vision regarding the identity that we have, that we have in Christ. Some people, and it's, very, and it's sad to say, and sometimes it's unfortunate to say that some child of God fails to see who they are in Christ. And if we lose sight of our identity, then we struggle on receiving the love of God. Some people would rather accept God's punishment. Some people would rather accept God's wrath because this is why I'm Lord, because I'm not worthy. And they are struggling to receive the truth that the Bible said that God loves us. He loves us first before we loved Him. Way back even, we were not even worthy. We were sinners. Jesus already decided to love us. And because we struggle in our self and to fail to see our identity in Him, we struggle to receive that love. And we argue sometimes because we say we are not worthy. And first of all, nobody is worthy of His love. But with the, in, the knowledge and, and, and understanding of who you are in Christ, that's where, you know, things would change the way you approach to reading your word, to serving the Lord, going to church. Everything you do shifted, shifts because of, your, of your, your knowledge of who you are in Christ. We cannot outlive Him and we cannot outgive Him. Nothing on our end that will make us loved by God more. There's no effort that we can do. We're talking about effort, right? To add on these things. But all these efforts will not make us, uh, will not make God love us more than He already loved us before. So we need to understand that and to have knowledge of who you are in Christ. When Jesus was, in, uh, was uh, baptized in the Jordan River, there was a voice and said, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. The voice that says that the father is already pleased 
in Jesus Christ. Now to take note of this, Jesus didn't do any ministry yet during those times. He didn't do any miracles yet. He didn't perform camp meetings and revival meetings during those times. He was just starting to launch his ministry. But the voice said he is already pleased by Jesus Christ. It means no action, no effort, nothing will make us become pleased to God by but just being a child by his child. As a parent, you know, you love your child because you love your child. Not because some you know, sometimes they are they are uh, they're sometimes giving a headache. <laughs> sleepless night sometimes, you know, giving you a hard time. As a parent, like, like sometimes, like, you know, <laughs> your, 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 your uh, patient sometimes is being tested. But just because they gave you a hard time doesn't mean you love them less. You love them regardless because they are your child. The same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we make some ignorant decisions, we fail sometimes, but that doesn't change the fact that He loved us already. Jesus loves you already. And I'm trying to build this principle and truth because some people, probably some of the people that would listen or some might be here that might struggle in this kind of area in lives. Trying to reject the love of God because they felt that they're not worthy. So... I'm talking about that because of the knowledge. We, it is an importance of knowing of who you are in Christ. The knowledge, add knowledge to it. As you pursue virtue, as we serve God, add knowledge to it. Amen. Knowledge also gives us confidence on what we do. So if we add on knowledge to our faith, it gives you confidence. We have already heard Brother Bernard preached about confidence in the gospel. Because you understand what you believed in. You understand the power because you have the knowledge. Daniel 11.32 says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Because of the confidence, because of the knowledge of who God is. That's where you get your confidence in what we do. You're not, intimidate, you're, you're not intimidated by preaching the gospel because you know that what you preach is the truth and the power of God unto salvation. That was the message on Sunday morning. Because of the knowledge of your understanding of what you believe in, it gives you confidence. It gives you confidence. So that's why we need to add knowledge to our faith. Knowledge gives us protection over the lies of the enemy. When we have the knowledge of God, and we have the knowledge of the Word of God, we learn to discern whenever the enemy is trying to mess with our minds. We have, if we have knowledge, we don't self-pity. We don't envy, we don't boast and be arrogant. We don't respond that way immediately. We're not impulsive. Because we have knowledge, we filter stuff that is going on in our minds and in our emotions because of knowledge. Knowledge allows us to filter thoughts that are not aligned to the mind of God. It's normal sometimes to feel those things, but sometimes if we are not careful, the enemy could use that 
as a tool to mess things in our mind. That's where we need the knowledge of the Word of God. We're not ignorant of His devices. The Bible said, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should take, get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of His devices. We are not ignorant of His devices because of the knowledge. Next is add temperance. We have virtue. We have knowledge. We add temperance. Temperance here means self-control. Now, because we have added knowledge, we don't react negatively right away. We don't respond impulsively because now we have self-control. And this is now the hard part. This is now the hard part, church, when we say self-control. We have three enemies that we, when we start to give our life to Christ, there's things that we are dealing with. Three enemies that we have. First is Satan. We all know that. But God has already defeated him. Amen? And the, I want you to understand this. The only power that Satan has over us is the power that we give him. Satan is powerless against us because God has already defeated him. The only way that he could mess up with you is when we give him the power that could mess up our minds. If we allow, only if we allow him. Now the second thing that we face as our enemy is the world. The forces and the influences of this world. Now think it, of this, think it this way. When we started to live for God, we are like swimming against a strong current of river. It's like that's how, like, how you picture when you start to, you know, to serve God, to choose to live right. You are going against the current of this world. But Jesus said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. We already have the victory over the world, amen. So Satan, the world, now this is where we, where we, uh, where we, uh, where our real battle is. The third enemy is ourself. Ourself. After you kill the desires of the flesh, every day, every day, and every day, the next thing in the morning when you face the mirror, it gets up back again. That's why Paul said, I die daily. He was referring to the carnal desires of the humanity in him. And that's where we struggle. That's why we need to put Temperance, self-control. Self-control means controlling our minds. Now let me say this, we cannot control the thoughts that comes through our mind. Now let me give you an example. Have you tried praying and while you're trying to focus your mind, all of a sudden thoughts would come in into your mind. Oh, I need to uh, buy, <laughs> I need to buy this. And, and all of a sudden, where was my birth certificate? <laughs> And you're praying like, oh, I forgot. I need to tell this person I owe him something. And while you're praying, you remember like you have dishes to do. You have to cook. A lot of stuff like coming through your mind. You cannot control that. But what we can control is what we focus on meditating. What do we ponder every day in our minds? When stuff comes in to our mind, you know, what, we, we need to filter things. That's why we need to control our minds. The second thing that we need to control is our tongue. 
James 3 and 3 verse 8, New Living Translation sa says, We can make a large horse go wherever he wants by a small bit in his mouth. And a small rudder makes him a huge ship turn whenever the paddle chooses to go, even the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is the flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is rustless and evil and full of deadly poison. It's just a small part of our body, the Bible said, but it could ruin your whole, everything in yourself. That's why we have to control our tongue, what we say, the words that we speak, because there's life in our words. No wonder that when we receive the Holy Ghost, the initial evidence is in the Bible is the tongues. Because when we receive the Holy Ghost and when we speak in tongues, it signifies that God, God is now in control of our lives. Since no man can tame the tongue, the tongue. But when we surrender ourselves to God and when God fills you with the Holy Ghost and when you speak in tongue, it means that God now is in taking control of you. That's why we need the Holy Ghost, church. We need the Holy Ghost. Now next is add patience. Patience means steadfast, endurance. In New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith, even in the greatest trials and suffering. Now when now we have self-control, now we need to have patience to add into our faith. Patience makes you not quit just because life gets tough. Amen? Serving Jesus is not a free ticket to a life without hardships. Or it's not like the problems are automatically gone. We can never find a promise in the Bible like that. But what Jesus said is, He came so that we can have life, and not just life, but an abundant life. And we will never appreciate abundance and blessings without inconvenience and pain. That's why we need to have patience. That whenever, whatever comes through in our life, it's always, you know, it's struggle, space, and it's always part of life. That's why, you know, when, when we start to be, when we start li to live in the world, if you notice, when a baby is born, the first reaction that he does that proves that he is alive is what, he, what does the baby does to prove that he's alive when he's out of the mom's womb? He cries. The first thing, you come into the world and you already cry. It means that in this world, it's part that it, it means that you're alive. There's crying. But that's the, that's the a proof of life in a person, in a baby. So when you experience pain and hardships and everything, it just means that we're alive. But I'm thankful that despite of all those pain and inconvenience, we can trust in God. Amen. That we have a promise from God that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah. Now listen to this in Luke 21, 19. 
Jesus said, in your patience possesses ye your souls. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said this as well. For what man, for what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus was talking about possessing or winning and losing your own soul. We can go and preach and, you know, to save souls. But what about our own soul? How do we win our soul? How do we possess our soul? It is through patience. In your patience possesses ye your souls. The word possess there, you know, if you dig it up and look for Greek, it means to win soul. You win your own soul. In your patience, patience you win your own soul. So you can win your soul by, your, by patience. We got to be steadfast. Focus on our purpose. There may be distraction, but we are not distracted. Amen. Next is godliness. Godliness is not for people to see how holy you are. Let me say this again. Godliness is not for people to see how holy you are, but godliness is having a right heart with God. We need to add godliness to our faith. To have a right heart before the Lord. We can be talented. We might have connections and have money. We may have wonderful building, great music, high-end equipments and gadgets. But if our heart is not right before God, then we miss the point. Psalms 139, verse 22 and 24, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there any be wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. King David, who was the greatest and highest position in that nation of Israel, have all connections and wealth. But he knew that what's more important is having heart, a right heart before God. Have a, heart, a right heart before God. We cannot go a day without our hearts not examined by God. Every attitude, every motives, every intentions has to be searched by God. We need to do that. Let God search our hearts every day as we go through. Next is add, add brotherly kindness. I cannot emphasize this enough. It has been already preached by Brother Scott Graham that how we need each other. How we are supposed to hold arms side by side, encourage one another, speak life to one another, bless one another, submit to one another. If we add brotherly kindness to our faith, then competition in the church is eliminated. We don't drag people down just because they are in their success season, in their season of their success. But we need to learn to celebrate one another's success. And not to have jealousy and not to have envy. But we need to learn to uplift one another. If someone is blessed, we have to celebrate for him. That's what's brotherly kindness, brotherly love. We appreciate one another. We support one another. Add faith on it. It's not about who sings better, plays better instrument, plays better instrument, preach better, whatever the case is. After all, what is important is Jesus gets all the glory. Amen. Jesus gets all the glory. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.